Hey, welcome to The Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg LaFove. And I'm Lorianne McKenna. We are professional screenwriters. We've worked together as a team and separately. We've worked on studio and indie films, live action and animation, from my work on Inside Out and Captain Marvel. To my work in Pixar's story department on Up, Brave, and Inside Out. We are here to share our insights on the craft of screenwriting and also the life. How to not only survive the ups and downs, but thrive. We want to help you become the best screenwriter you can be and to reassure you that you are not alone on this journey. Hi, guys. Welcome back to the show. Today, we are chatting with one of America's most celebrated writers and directors, Andrew Stanton. Andrew wrote and directed Finding Nemo, Finding Dory, and Wally, all of which consistently rank among the best films in this century and best animated films ever made. In live action storytelling, he's become a critically acclaimed director working on shows like Stranger Things and Better Call Saul. Andrew is considered one of the finest storytellers working in our industry. He has given lectures for TED and Google, and he's here today to help us with our own understanding of story. So welcome, Andrew, to the show. Hi. It's it's, <laughs> it's nice to be among friends and not strangers. Like people, like, people that have seen the real me. The, the underside of me, the underbelly of me, the blue me and all the meeting rooms. So it's going to be, all a, the should, be should be a fun talk. Should be a fun talk. <laughs> yes. All the Andrews. So uh, should we get into adventures yeah, in screenwriting our week? Yeah. Um, I'll start. I'll keep it brief. Um, I uh, delivered a script yesterday, I think. Congratulations. Thank you. And then I immediately yeah. fell into the uh, black hole of hackitude. Right. Like, oh, my God, what did I just deliver? And then I had to rewrote, reread it. And then, of course, I found a big typo right in the middle of it. So I had to do that. Like, wait, not that one. This one. So that's like a zit, right? Yes. Like a zit. <laughs> yes. So that was amazing. Uh, and then I uh, sat down and came up with 10 of the worst ideas I could come up with because I feel like I'm really good at that and I needed to do something I'm really good at. Uh, and so and then I just ate way too many chips and got a stomach ache. And then I focused on that instead of the script I delivered. So um, uh, Good. that's Good. very, that's my highlight of the Good week. technique. I like it. <laughs> uh, my week was, I'm still where I was last week, working to find the poles of my main character, um, i.e. finding her in act one that, that still attaches us to her and resonates with the end of act two and her third act action kind of what is that and how do I get that all established in act one which means I'm iterating people I'm still iterating was iterating last week I'm iterating this week (laughs) and um I still feel that internal pressure to nail it to find the answer um instead I'm trying really hard to keep my brain to stay with process and discovery and curiosity instead of you know I'm successful because look how much I did today. Look at all the page count or, you know, whatever, or I'm done, which instead I'm trying to stay with, oh, look how many versions I did. <laughs> look how many attempts at this I did as my kind of barometer. Um, Andrew, how was your week? Uh, it's 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 sad. Um, I've had a bad back problem for a while because I wrote so much during the year of COVID. And now I, I'm paying for it because I cannot really concentrate. And so I finally could get on some of my stuff that I wanted to do. And I can't do anything but have the equivalent of screenwriting air guitar where I just kind of open the files and, and, and reread what I've done before and maybe correct some spelling in a sentence that's just to myself and then go through another file. And, I, and I'm telling myself I'm basically doing research on my own work 
to like just kind of get myself into a headspace that maybe by the time my back feels better, I can just hit the ground running. So it's, it's a very fancy way of procrastinating because it makes me feel like I'm doing something, but I haven't done any, I haven't done squat. You're wading in, you're wading yeah, into the yeah, water. Yeah. Yeah. So it is important uh, when you're a writer to uh, stretch and stand up every once in a while because you can, yeah. you can hurt yourself. I've, I've finally learned, learned, but I've honestly, the year of COVID is like, I have never sat that consistently and written that consistently. I learned writing, uh, under duress. Uh, I was a, I was a parent and I, I, I kind of want, I, I learned on toy story. And so I, 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 I learned, I did it on the kitchen floor in the middle of the night, you know, while we had to do other things in the day. So all I've ever known is sort of trench warfare writing. So to suddenly have a, a literally months where I'm just sitting in the same place, doing the horrible thing I do to my back when I'm really into something, that's what's made me pay for it. You know, I just right. have never physically put myself in that state. So well, how, did, how was the writing after that? Like, did you see a difference in the writing that you were able to have those long uh, concentrated time. Yeah, I, I, I had been directing for so many years that I was worried maybe I can't do it anymore. And I had to, I had to do it on my own. I usually write with other people. Right. So I was scared. And so I feel proud that I did it and that it didn't suck. You know, Good. <laughs> you know, spoken like a real writer, right? Yeah. There. How yeah. do you know? Okay. So this is going to come out sounding weird, but how do you know it didn't suck? Was it like you read it and you were like, this doesn't suck? Did you give it to a reader? Like, what was that measure? I've got, I've, you know, I'd like to think that after 30 years and almost the same amount of screenplays that I've either been involved with directly or indirectly, I, I know what's not bad. <laughs> I'll never know what's great, um, but but I at least I like to think I've earned the sense of like this is acceptable. This is this is not something I'm I'm going to be that even if it's wrong. I'm not that embarrassed. It's it's almost like a good sense of humor at this point. Like I I know that's oh, right. funny. I don't know if it's funny enough. Right. You know. Right. But right. yeah, I can't. So, it, but I do feel that's well earned. I don't feel like I I could have said that maybe even I don't know six years ago. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that's for emerging writers. That's the hardest part is reading something and being able to be like, well, I like it, but is it, is it good yeah. enough? And then getting yeah. feedback and someone else liking it or not liking it can determine how then how the writer feels you know, about it. Well, you know what it is. I think it's, it's I think the flip side of that coin is to say, I've learned to accept that nothing I write until about the third draft will be any good. So I've learned to just live with a shitty first draft. I've learned to live with a slightly acceptable second draft. And I've learned to accept with like, I guess I could show it to other people. I can't be that bad third draft. Like, I just know that's the path. So I've stopped. I want all of our listeners to hear that. Yes. Big <laughs> I want, I want everyone to hear that because yes. we say that and I know in their yeah. heads, they're like, I know, but like the genius yeah. greats, like Andrew Stanton, no. they don't. And it's no. like, no, no, even Andrew Stanton no. just said shitty first draft people. You're not well, you, you know what it is, is like you're you're not making the same things twice. You're deciding to cook a meal that for, out of just new ingredients. Like it's it's almost like this is, I, I'm you know, I'm the king of analogies that work on the front end and then fall apart on the back end. But like it's like you're going into the grocery store and you're like, I'm going to make a, I'm going to invent a new meal. And you just start grabbing shit off the grocery store and you get to the kitchen and you're kind of stuck kind of improving all over again. You just all you have the confidence of knowing is that you did this once before. Uh, you know, if you have and, and, but, but you're kind of still back to square one, but you realize that's the, 
that's why I'm doing this. I didn't do this to like do the same thing again. I do this to like find out what I'm going to discover. Like you get to be the first audience member of whatever it is you're making. And that's, that's kind of the carrot. And like, I'll get to be the first person that gets to see that movie. Um, but man, or taste that meal. If I'm going to, I got to say in the same analogy, (laughs) and then, and, 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 uh, but, but man, is it going to be sloppy and a lot of, a lot of ugly cooking mistakes to get to a meal that even I'm enjoying writing, uh, eating by myself. You know what I mean? Nice so, commitment to the analogy yeah. there. Yeah, that was hard. That was it was good. hard. Stay on, stay on task. <laughs> so Andrew, yeah. once, and I must, I don't know if I was in a brain trust with you or honestly, I don't remember. It could have been over lunch. At one mm-hmm. point you said, um, you used the phrase guitar strum about when you're creating something, oh, originating yeah. or revising yeah. something. And yeah. could you just, I would love our listeners oh, to hear about that. I'm very, music was my first, not love, but my first understanding of creativity. My mom sang all the time. There was always music in our house. And I was, maybe it might be the first, well, no, drawing was probably the first thing, but the second thing, because the second thing for me, at least consciously, like by the time I was becoming a preteen or everything, it's like, I, 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 it was the first thing I remember not being too afraid to just dive into and, and right. be bad at. Like, I, I, I think, I think everybody seems to understand the practice makes perfect when it comes to learning an instrument. So, and, and so everybody kind of gives themselves a free pass. And, and ever since then, because I followed music for a while and I thought it might be what I do. Um, then I realized they don't give degrees to rock stars. I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm not going to do that. Uh, I, I, I realized, I just, I've realized over time, I think, uh, or and I and I process like a musician, so I process things rhythmically, uh, emotionally, uh, intuitively, um, to a fault. And and so sometimes there's a because screenwriting is so it's basically blueprints, right, for something else that's going to be done. It's not a finished end in 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 and of itself, but it's all you have to be creative with. So you get into this trap of thinking that it has to be presentational beyond its function. Like its function is, is that you should be able to give it to an architect and they can, or a contractor, they go, oh, I can see what you're gonna do with this. It's not something that's gonna go and put on a show in and of itself and be entertaining in and of itself. And so you realize, oh, then I'm basically just writing a song that will someday be performed. And the minute I take it out of the arena of words and 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 the eruditeness of, of writing, and and to me, that's all for smart people that I've yet to really get get to you know hang out with in my mind. Um, when I put it into music, I'm like, oh, okay, we're back in sort of the pothead, just hanging out in your room, you know, world, and and it's safe. And you go, well, how do you find the songs that way? Like, well, I just fucking pick up a guitar and just noodle. And I, I, I don't, I don't, and I, and I'm, I have to, right? Like you, you, it's kind of illogical. You have to define the song or to find the melody. Well, to me, picking a piece of paper and saying, I'm going to write what people are saying and, and, and worlds and all that kind of stuff is the same amount of play and mess I've got to do to get there. It's, it's, it, it, and then if you flip around what you do to yourself with the screenwriting, with screenwriting, you know, you put all this pressure, like how great is that dialogue? Is that exactly the right causal effect of this thing to this thing? Like you suddenly are putting all these wonderful rules that apply in analysis, but not in creating. 
and you and you suddenly go if i did that when i'm trying to play a guitar that'd be like okay you can you can put your fingers your fingers to the, the strings but they they have to be exactly the right chord the right things you get one chance to strum it you get one chance to strum it and if you don't do it right then then we're, we're going to move on we're going to move on to another guitar player we're going to move on to like like you know it, it, i just feel like it's ridiculous that you that both studios and the writers themselves sometimes don't give themselves the uh, structure in the room to play and just be a fucking mess because how else do you find it? How else do you find the tune? You have to jam. Like, so that's the term I'm always using. I don't use strum guitar as much as I do. When do you get to jam? You know? And what so. I love about it is that you mentioned that when we were talking about revisions, it wasn't like originating. Yeah. It was literally like, okay, you've had a couple iterations of this. Don't forget you have to also yeah. still be able to play. You have to be able to jam. Even now, even after you've written it many times, that is yeah. still an element. And, you know, for me, that's where the discovery happens. That's the fun yeah. part. For freak's sake, that's the fun part. Don't say yeah. the fun part. It's it's the play. I mean, you get to, you, I mean, I remember saying this once to uh, early, I think I was a third movie or something. I'm like, I still am on a high that I get to make a movie, you know? And, uh, and I, I don't want to lose that. And, and I do this, I try, it's harder and harder, but I try to get back to this space. Like I get to write, I like, I get to make something up yeah, and, or, or, the, or the converse of that is I don't have to have a real job still today. Oh, <laughs> great. You know, great stuff. <laughs> I'm so curious where you think that idea, like the difference between creating music or painting or any of the other yeah. sort of arts, why as writers, we expect ourselves to be able to just know how to do it is because yeah. watch movies. We understand it more than like a painting in a museum. That's sort of baffling. Yeah. I think it's because it's so ephemeral. Um, and because everybody is telling a story all day, like everybody's telling you, Oh Jesus, you wouldn't believe what happened when I went to the grocery store. You wouldn't believe what someone mom just said when I called her. Um, we're all structured to tell something with a little bit of a beginning and an end in it. And so it seems like a muscle that we're all doing. I, I don't think anybody's thinking this consciously. I just think that's sort of the risk. The, the, and, and so I get it. And, and in, a way, we're in, a, in a great way, that's, that's an asset because you, you, you have to be brave and stupid to get into something this, you know, <laughs> this soul bearing, you know. Thank you gonna, so much for seeing, you know. <laughs> I feel seen. <laughs> brave and um, stupid and messy, you know, right? Yeah, Those exactly. are the three things. I'm like, yeah. hey, I found the perfect career. It's happening. Yeah. But, soul bearing, um, yes. Soul but it's bearing. so hard to get, right? It's so hard to achieve because um, you're inventing a color. And how do you describe to somebody a color that nobody's seen before? It's, it's impossible basically until it's, until you've done it. And then everybody's yeah. like, that looks easy. And you're like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then everyone goes, that color's ugly. <laughs> yeah. The thing that, that I, the thing I have a harder time with as I get older and crankier uh, is hearing, hearing people Say if it were mine, this is what I would do. You know, like the, the, the sort of whistling on the steps of Carnegie Hall. Like, I, I, I just like, I don't want to hear the orchestra that you that might play someday. Just like, you know, just go, go prove it. I'm, and, I'm, and I'm much tougher in, at least the last time I was in a story room with, with storyboard artists. I, 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 I feel like, well, you guys are literally getting paid to help tell a story. Like, stop telling me what it should be or couldn't, can't be. 
uh, give me an example, like put, put on the play, put on the show, like, like, like just, just because uh, I'm the alpha in the room right now, doesn't mean it's on me. It, you know, how do you think we built this place that allows you to be working here? Like if there was four of us in a room and we had to like make ourselves laugh and put it on and perform what we think the scene should be until it was making us entertained. And then we thought, oh, maybe that's good enough to write, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I'm much more of a, a pro about like, just, you know, um, spend more time creating possible solutions than analyzing attack mm-hmm. plans, you know? Um, Great. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I'm it's, sure you guys have abused the analysis paralysis term, but like, man, it's it's real. No, it's real. And it tells you what, about who's giving you notes. Is this person giving you notes that are trying to get to your idea and what you're trying to do and offering up yeah. solutions just as a way to, or are they just critiquing and judging? And then don't give yeah. your stuff to that person. Yeah. And let's talk about the craft of it too, because I want to make sure we dig into your your brain, your craft brain. Um, Lauren, you wanted to- <laughs> My to craft ask cheese brain. Your craft yes. cheese brain. Yes. Uh, so uh, something came up when we were preparing for this interview, this unifying theory of two plus two. Two plus two. About. Me and Mr. Bob Peterson came up with that. That was, that's, I'm going to give that to Bobby. That's so such a Bob thing to say, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> yes. So can you talk about that a little bit? Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, I mean, I've gone back enough to realize, oh, Billy Wilder fell into this. And, uh, and I've even read, I just recently read the Mike Nichols biography and he fell into this. Like everybody has their own version of realizing, oh, it's way more powerful to lead the reader or the, or the audience into coming to the conclusion and the decision and the emotional reaction of, of the characters themselves than spelling it out for them. And so the trick, the story physics of it is, is, or the hunt is to find those things that will do that. And so to me, that's where I don't think it's like, it's literally the same as joke telling. Like it, it really depends on when you say something, how you say something, uh, the amount of time you spend saying something, all these things contribute or detract from making things pay off or making things uh, make your like you're basically in a sneaky way leading the audience by the hand to come every single person that's reading this to come to the same thought or to the same uh, response. And but if you don't literally speech it out or 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 spell it out, then they you the other part of the tr- magic trick is they think they came up with it and not you. That's the real magic, right? That's the real. That's the that's to me the true high of being a storyteller. Maybe that's a Machiavellian power thing. I don't know. <laughs> no, I love but, it too. But I love, but I, lo- I love that. Like, I mean, I I that's what Wally was born from. Wally was like coming out of that two plus two realization while writing Nemo with Bob, and realizing, wow, I wonder if you could just do this purely. Like, I just wanted to. I wanted to know. I wanted to be better at controlling storytelling without any, without the safety of dialogue. Um, and so, uh, and I wanted to do it on the page. That's a lot, a lot of people haven't seen the script for it, but um, I, I read the script for, um, the revision script for Alien by um, 
Walter Hill and, and only to discover that. And I found out later that he always writes like this, but to me, it was an epiphany. He, he, it was no dialogue for so many pages. And he wrote rhythmically like little haikus that were all left justified. And, 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 and so they were little bites of, of moments and, and they were done. So the words were just right to like put you in a tone and a mood and a rhythm that you and they and the literally the formatting the visual like way your eye intook the page made made you pace yourself in the same way that you would pace dialogue against description and you found yourself not skipping description everything mattered like every little word mattered and you got into a pace and i was i was like oh that's how you do it that's how you could figure this stuff out before drawing it before shooting it and uh and i i wanted to prove it to myself so um, it, it, so I came out of that whole experience kind of confirmed that um, the real the real dialogue and, and behavior and action are not separate things like they're they're all doing they're all tools to do one thing, which is kind of control the audience's attention and interest and make them hopefully come to conclusions and and uh, that, that they that they um, that you want them to. You know? I also think that's why you have to write so many drafts because often your first drafts, you're just trying to get it out of your head. So you're laying it down too yes. obviously. It's just too obvious. And now that you know what the hell it is, you yeah. can go back in and do that bigger yes. two plus two work because yes. sometimes you don't even know what it is until you're like, you have this whole character, you have the whole character say it all. And you're like, well, of course I'm not going to put that there in act one, but I yeah. need to know what it is. I need them to tell me. So it's why revisions are so important because you don't get to this high work that Andrew's talking about until you're in draft three or four and you're starting to understand what the story is and then how to put it together. And Andrew, you also had mentioned something that I just thought was so great in terms of craft about audience expectation and that you are, it's kind of what you're talking about now. You are really trying to control their expectation. And, you know, you, you, you mentioned once about two ingredients for that act one, that you really wanted there to be those two ingredients of attaching to the character. Do you remember when we talked about this, about um, finding your lane? Like when you are starting, when you're starting to Right. You're putting everything you can think of in, of course. Right. Yes. And that you really want to find the thing that's going to attach the audience to the story. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I I may, I probably am an outlier on how I do that because I can't tell anything without it capturing your interest. So if I fall into traps, it's that I picked the wrong thing to grab your interest, but I can't even move forward. Uh, unless I feel it is creating anticipation and drama. So if, if, if I can't do it with the logic side of my brain or with all the things that I think I'm supposed to do, then I literally would just say, well, then fuck it. I'm going to do something else that gets your interest. Like I'm not in it. Like I'm, I'm just out and I, I can't even go forward unless I can do that to myself. Um, so I, I, I want to believe that gets me closer to the bullseye quicker, but it may not be. It just may be a different roundabout way that I have to keep myself going. Um, but and is it I really do... about the characters want? Do you think? Like, what do you think well, is defining that? Um, or is it different all the time? You know, I, 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 I it, it's like I'm, it's like I'm stuck in the audience's chair. Like that's the only way my brain works. I'm like, okay, I'm like everything I think of, and I, and I even audition for myself on paper or on. The, move, the screen shows my age. I started on paper. Um, they, uh, 
I'm, I'm watching it. Like I'm always watching what I'm writing. So I'm just like, I wouldn't want to see that or that, that doesn't do anything for me. So the second, even if, if, even if like, yeah, but that's what the character has to do. That never wins in my brain. Never. I'm always like, all right, I'll write that to myself to not forget. But I know that nobody's going to want to watch this if they're not interested. So I, oh, I, so again, I will, even if I have to pick something that's kind of off and I know it's off from the beginning, I at least know this is entertaining. This, this like, like, like if, if the, if the scene's just like, she's got to go in and buy groceries when our story's got to get going and I, and I've got nothing happening, then I'm going to go. And, and, and then somebody takes her hostage. Like, I, like I've got to like, I'll do something to like, get me into it. You know, I mean, I'll be a little bit more in the same sphere of whatever I'm trying to tell, like it, you know, uh, but, but I'm, I'm just a firm believer that at the end of the day, if it is not interesting to tell, then you're not there yet. Um, there's this great story, I'm, I'm leaping a bit, but like one of the things that really made sense to me that I realized was going on organically because I, I learned to write with a group of guys in a room. Like I didn't learn to write in isolation. So I'm very blessed that way. So I, I've always seen writing as a team sport. I've always seen it as something that has to be done many times over. And I've always had an audience and somebody to, or, or, or somebody to play, play against, right? And so I've, I've learned to just not be ashamed of that and, and, uh, my, and let my ego go, look at that, I need to write with other people in some way or another. Um, but what, one of the things I heard once, which was, was that John Sayles would, uh, when he was getting ideas for his movies, because he writes all his movies, um, he would tell them to people at parties and he could see right away just by their eyes, like, I'm not interesting anymore, or this isn't funny, or they're getting lost. And he would, because when you're on, when you're on in that moment telling a story, you will lie, cheat, steal, change everything you're going to keep them there. Like suddenly you're using the muscle you should have been using all along when you're writing. And you're going like, never mind, it all happened in the ocean and they were all drowning. Like you'll just, <laughs> you'll just change it, right? And so he found that the more he told his, whatever he was thinking of doing, he would start to, uh, you know, get better at it, just like a comedian, like practicing jokes on stage. And then he would finally get to a place where he was telling the same story again and again. And that's when he knew he was ready to write. And I'm like, you know, that's not that far off on what we would do uh, in the early days of Toy Story of just trying to go, is this the right, like, when's the scene ready to like, try putting on paper, you know, that yeah. when we can tell it to ourselves, and we're, we're, we're in from the beginning to the end, you know, that so I've kind of never lost that standard. Uh, well, it's I a good have, standard to have yeah. when you're building huge worlds with rules too, because those yeah. can really start to weigh well, down. Because you start picking shit, right? Yeah. You start, yeah, you start picking things. Yeah. yeah. But to get back onto the thing about the lane, right. the conversation you had, like, I'm finding more and more, uh, and it's just happened to be uh, on two different productions, uh, one at Pixar, one at Disney, where I, I, I was doing this with them, where I was walking them through what they had, particularly in their first act. And we're, we're gonna go as slow as we need to go. And basically not trying to fix anything, but just like a, like a doctor diagnosing, like, let me just like see how you walk, like, like one of those kind of things. And like, and you, I was just like, do you understand that when you do, when this scene happens, the audience is thinking this. And now when this next person is the, when the next piece of information is this other character saying this line, 
you've conf- it's it's just vague enough that now 50% of your audience thinks she likes him and the other 50% thinks maybe she's put off by him but she's being polite and already you've bifurcated and now you're going to your next piece of information and you're telling a joke here and it has nothing to do with what was just said and now that's a, like another piece of information somebody's got to hold and they're thinking it's a setup and and suddenly they understand what they're doing to their audience Mm-hmm. Right. Like it's not the, the, the information is not translating to the audience the way you had intended. And it's you realize, oh, this is this is a universal problem. Like nobody can avoid this problem. You get to a place where you've been fighting so hard just to represent your intentions that you haven't really put much thought into how are my intentions translating to the audience. And you right. suddenly realize that this lost in translation thing is a real thing and it, and it and at some point it becomes more important than anything else because if nobody understands what you meant it doesn't matter what you were doing and so um i i i feel like that's it's a it, it, and so that's and and one of the analogies i use when i'm describing this to them i said you guys are on the right highway you you created this highway and it's a multi-laned highway um so you're never that far off from t- telling your story, but, but you ha- at some point have to just stay in the center lane. And if you start telling me something that's kind of vague, you're drifting your car into the left, and then you tell me something that kind of contradicts it, but, it, but that's because it's a setup that I need for act three, but it doesn't make sense with what everything else has come before. And now my car is drifting to the right side of the lane. And you've got this swerving car that's kind of like, yeah, it all takes place in this you know, fairyland story. And it all makes sense that uh, this character loves this character and this character is afraid of the other, but it, but I'm not really into it. It's because you kept drifting in and out of the center lane and you can't know that ahead of time. You kind of have to build the freeway and drive it and, and be a bad driver. But at some point you have to just pause and go, what is it like for somebody else to take in the information that I'm telling them? Right. And it's hard because sometimes you're like, but that joke's so good. And you're like, but right. it drifts it off. Yeah. So it has to go. It has yes. to go for now. We might find another yes. way to put it in. But right now we're all arguing over what the center lane is. So let's yeah. just do sometimes I'm like, can we just do the most obvious draft, like super yeah. obvious so that we all get in the same lane and then we can go and be clever and blah, blah, blah. But like, what is the lane? What well, can we all yeah. agree on the lane? So I totally I, like, I love that. I like that. I like that dumb draft because. I'm always like, it's just a file. Like, it's just, just a write, piece of just, paper. It's, or another piece of paper. Just write the thing you say is so shitty or, or like, I'm not going to do that. or I'm not going to lower my standards or I hate that idea. Or it's cliche just, or yeah. that dialogue's it's too earnest. obvious. It's and I'm like, yeah, earnest. write obvious dialogue, right. please. Write obvious dialogue so we know what right. you're doing. Right. And then we can, yeah. You don't just, have to show it to anybody else. No. Just do it. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> so I'm so curious. So many um, of our, uh, so many people in our audience struggle with like Act One and exposition, which I think yeah. is a, is this same uh, thing. And yeah. most of the writers are not in collaborative situations, right? They're like the beginning of their career, writing at home alone. They've got like maybe a writer's yeah. group or like a trusted friend. Like, how do they? How, what advice do you have about how to find that lane and how to build that world? Well, it's I mean, uh, how do you do I, exposition? How do you? Yeah, do an, expo- an expositional first act is kind of like puberty. There's no way around it. You have to go through it to get to adulthood. Like you're just gonna have to. So, don't beat yourself up that you've created that, or that you're stuck there for a bit. I can, I don't think I've ever been a part of a 
a screenplay or a, or a movie production in any way that didn't have that at some stage, either for a very long time or for a long enough time that it had to be dealt with. Um, but there's a, you know, I never understood when I was probably maybe even for the first five, 10 years, I didn't really understand the, the adage of, of, uh, chop off the first 15 minutes of your movie or your screenplay a 15 page screenplay and start them start the story there and i was like that doesn't work it's not gonna it's not gonna work <laughs> like, like i never understood what that meant but what it really implies is that by then the exposition's out of the way if you had any and the engine's running like things are just going there's a reason and i know i've used this in the ted talk and stuff like that but like but there's a reason you can channel surf and drop into movies you've never seen and you and you catch up really quick and you're into it it's because the engine's already running like the, the the cause and effect uh rhythm is 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 full bore uh you know he's already like in the car going after the the person that stole his cat you know i'm making this up as we go and let's about but you know what i mean like we're, we're the, the engine's running it's not like let's meet the person let's meet the, that he has a thing for cats and the, let's meet the rest of the war, the school that he goes to and all that stuff that you think you need for context you may need yourself to place it but you'll hopefully the the more you you get into your story the more you get to the ending the more you've tried a few versions you'll start to understand what, what, where do I want the audience's head at? Uh, what do I want them to be caring about? Um, really what you want them caring about and have expectations about is really all that matters. And, and it's not until you understand that yourself that you have the knowledge and the guts to go back and go, oh, well then I, I can go back all the way front now and cut out this, I don't need that. I can cut out this because nobody, truth is if you didn't know, you know who his mother was, it wouldn't affect how he's gonna chase the cat. You know? and, I hate the story I'm telling. Um, but, well, also, but, I also but heard you, know you say I mean? once like, that you want exposition in action. Like yeah, it, I, the story has started, it, it, we're going, and then you, you you deal with it that way. One of the biggest things that 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 happened, again, I, I'll, I always use Toy Story analogies now that it's fucking 30 years old. Um, it's because I started writing on 92. Uh, but I learned so much then. And I remember sitting with Pete Doctor, we had, and it, it was the fattest first act and it still kept not working, but we knew we, we had, the rest of the story was working, but we were trying to do exactly this. We were trying to like make it engaging from the beginning. And then um, I remember just going, okay, what, what, what I, all I know is that by the time they fall out of the van, I'm so into this story. Like, I know we have it there. And I said, what if we just started there? Right. And, and, and he goes, you, we can, no, 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 like, just, let's just tell ourselves that story. Like, what would you have to do? Like, let's say that I, I probably used gun to your head. Like there's a gun to your head. That's the story you have to start with. So how are we going to tell all this stuff that we don't know anymore? And just to force ourselves to do that exercise and see it all the way through. Of course, it fell apart and didn't hold, but it made the, the solutions you came up with, with what you had to know and when you could know it. I think just going through the perf just going through the actual act of killing your darlings and 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 completing the sentence and coming up with full new ideas kind of just that alone gives you the bravery to now use that muscle and go back and do it on the front end cuz that's what it did to us it made us go back and go oh 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 and I don't know if we suddenly had the answers but we suddenly had an attitude 
to just chop and and start from a like if we started from the front door what if we start from the back door what if we set it here and not there like you just got there was a kind of a high off of just hacking and slashing and creating completely new th- concepts you know i think I this is it. such great advice in terms of uh we talk a lot about listening for the note under the note and yeah. so if, if a reader is telling you, this is where I'm interested, this is where it gets exciting, right? Listen to that because that's what you're yeah. talking about, right? Like, well, what if yeah. you started the story there? Like I have this moment yeah. in the script that I delivered and hopefully I'm done, um, <laughs> but I know I'm not because there's a moment, it's a 30 page pilot and there's a moment on page 15 where across the board, everyone's like, this is the moment I love her. And so now I'm listening to you talking. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> Do I have to start well, there? No. You do at least you do at least in private. You do at least in private right. to vet to basically vet what's right. what's valuable and what's not for everything prior to it. Right. So now I yeah. now I'm gonna think about it because it's at a reader right now. I'm not gonna type on Don't it. Don't do it. Don't rewrite it. I made all the time, right? I deliver it and then I keep writing. Um, but it is like that note under the note. There's so many questions. How do you know how to hear the note under the note? And it's well, like that. Yeah, let's talk about notes because, um, you know, at Pixar, you get a lot of notes, right? And you get a lot of notes time. from super smart people, right? How do you, as the creator, when you were the writer, director, and this isn't just at Pixar, I'm sure this is in your television and in your live action features, you get a lot of notes. How do you keep on your track and yet, take the notes and what is your process? I mean, or did you say? I am not proud of this. I can't believe I'm gonna tell the world this. I don't listen to notes. (laughs) I I let everybody talk. I I know nobody's lying. So I know know if everybody's talking about, I didn't get it in the end that something's wrong in act one or you lost me somewhere. Everybody seems to have gotten lost or confused or or an argument about the same moment and people have different opinions about what that moment is. I'm very uh, humble, meaning I make myself vulnerable to the truth uh, about, oh, that did not work there. And this did not work like uh, that I completely take in. And I'm and I'm a hundred percent taking notes to how the audience is reacting when I'm sitting in a screening whether it's at Pixar or with an audience outside. Um, But after that, I am so fragile. Uh, I know myself. (laughs) And so I can't read, I I can, this is separate from the brain trust we're in. Like I'm among safe, smart people where I really think they have thought hard and actually have a pretty good batting average about coming up with a suggestion. So that's different. But any notes that are mailed or sent or something, somebody else reads them. Oh, for I'm, sure. I'm, I'm, I don't read I, those either. I, I can't do it. I and can't I do it. It will shut me down. Pixar yeah. I had to read and filter all those oh, notes and you guys are making the right choice. It, it's it, <laughs> not just it, that Pixar, like, but like those notes are, you know. I, it's it's mean. There, some of them are mean outright. Um, other ones are just have a negative tone. Most of them are have no intention to do that, but that's just what they're doing because Nobody's asking them, what did I do right? They're going, what did I do wrong? So you just get barraged with, here's 
everything, if I could change, if I could change this about you, I would give you a different nose. I wouldn't make your eyes so close together. Like, like it just goes on and on and on and on. And you just hate yourself. So I like this, there's no upside to this. I, I'm the one that has to turn around tomorrow and tell a crew of hundred people, sometimes 200, like, it's going to be great. Let's keep going. <laughs> like, I, like, what is the good, good, good side to this? So I try to, I've, I've learned how to curate the spirit of the notes. I've learned how to open my ears and be vulnerable to the people that I really respect that I think know better. Um, and even then I'm, I'm bummed. Not that I, I'm bummed because I wanted to impress. I, I, I just want to impress my peers, like wh whether they're made up or real. Like I just, you know, and so I'm, I'm bummed and I need a little bit of time, but what, what I do very quickly uh, is I, is I don't wallow in it. Like usually that day, like uh, if we're using Pixar as an example, you've just screened version of your movie, you've gotten into a room, you've spent two hours of dissecting it, pulling it apart. Uh, even on, in the, on the best versions of those, you've seen it all ripped apart and you found something wrong. And um, I go back and I, and I usually go and have to tell either my writing partner, if they're not, or either confer with my writing partner or I'm going to the story crew. And I try to leverage off that. And I basically try to translate already, you know, like almost talking out loud while I'm thinking what I think this all means. Like, what, here's what I think the notes mean. And I, I immediately start trying to almost physically create uh, an atmosphere of repair and, uh, and, 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 uh, and reattacking it. And then I usually, because because I think I honestly believe that you get you get dumber with each passing 15 minutes after those meetings. Like there's so much knowledge that's thrown at you and so much good ideas that you, if you ever see me in a brain trust meeting again with with and it's my movie, you'll notice like I'll I'll only write a few times. And when I am, it's because somebody said something and I got it. Oh, or you know, and I mean, and that's ultimately going to be my roadmap and I'll go back and I'll talk to my crew and just the act of having to translate and say it out loud to myself, to them starts making me think like, if this is not about, did I do well? It's like, what do we do next? Because, yes. and, it, and it just reminds me very quickly that this was, this is an iterative process. This is meant to happen. Now we need new marching orders and I can't get new marching orders fast enough. And I'm also getting, like I said, dumber by every 15 minutes. The sooner we start making a plan, the sooner we're drafting off of all this knowledge that's kind of in my head, kind of in your head. You heard what she said. Meg said that, right? What do you, what did you think that meant? Oh, my God, let me. And, and you're just because I know by the time I get to five o'clock and I'm drinking, it's gone. It's going to be gone. All that knowledge. <laughs> you know. Right. And but then I start the next day and I have a, a battle plan, a battle plan on a map. And, I, and then I usually no less than 24 hours I have a very specific battle plan about how I want to and then I'm optimistic again and then I'm like oh yeah that's right I got beat up on Wednesday but now it's Friday we're good you know and uh, you have a plan the plan yeah. helps a lot it really yeah. helps you get back yeah. to the character so Jeff you wanted your... did you oh sorry Jeff do you want to ask your question or a yeah. question sure I mean one of the things I love that you're talking about Andrew is like putting yourself in the seat of your audience and using that as a barometer for what's working. Like, I think that's mm -hmm. so few writers actually do that. Um, and well, if I you think, think that's, about that, I'm sorry, were you going to go somewhere? No, no, please hop oh, in. Yeah. I was going to say like, I'm always messing this up. Maybe which one is, is the, is the left brain, the, 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 
left is logic and right is rainbows. That's what I remember. Really? Is it alliterative? Okay. Okay. So anyway, I'm always trying to use the right side of my brain because I, I believe, I can't prove this, that the audience member uses only that. They, they go into the theater wanting to just use that. They don't want to have to, if you, if that's, this is why they think they don't want to see a foreign film. You're telling them they're going to have to work for their meal and they don't want to do that. Like I already had a hard day. I already did all this stuff. I just want to sit. I want to even be able to eat some popcorn, maybe have it too loud in my head and I didn't hear everything and I still freaking get it. I just want to enjoy myself. And so I want to lean back and, and, and so you, that's how they're going to be processing everything that you're throwing at them. So if you haven't, if you haven't proven to yourself like many times how that comes across, you know, what your story is comes across to just viscerally to people, then I'm like, then why are you doing this? Because you're not going to be in front of intellectuals analyzing like that's, it's starting to frustrate me a lot at, at, at Pixar that we, I look at how many meetings are about analysis and dissecting and how many meetings are about generating impulsive responses, like basically jamming and, 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 and jazz. And like, in other words, finding ideas and finding character moments that viscerally just like yeah. totally intoxicate you and get you. It's what you do with in live action with rehearsals. It's like you, you find the way that this stuff can be uh, performed that makes people lean in and you're using though, and you're using all these visceral things so that's basically like that's how everybody's going to process your stuff so you want to be a master of knowing how that's going to come across right i think sorry what's no what's so hard about that though is it's like pixar does both like pixar somehow manages <laughs> to like stay in that lane and like obey the story gods in a way that's so satisfying but also only in the last four months for four and a half years, it's a piece of shit. Yeah. And so that's just understand that. Not true. Not true. <laughs> but how do you as a writer, like obey those all important story God rules and stay you in that, don't. Movie, but generate you don't. that surprise. And you need somebody like me to come in after three years and go, we're going to sit here. <laughs> and we're not going to break it. We're not going to analyze anything. And we're just going to walk through it. Like it's, a lot of discipline that doesn't come naturally. And yeah. so you, uh, you end up, you know, going to see a specialist, <laughs> you know, about <laughs> some of your ailments before it's time to perform, you know, it's a specialist like, who, who cares about you and your story. And also yeah. the way I do it sometimes in my brain after the jamming and you, sometimes mm -hmm. you can have too much. It's like I, that wonderful stage of too much and not enough. Like it's both mm -hmm. at the same time. Um, mm -hmm. It's, it's like, what is the character? What does the main character care about? What does mm -hmm. she care about? To me, that's the link. The, the audience is coming through that character. We have to care what she cares about and make me want what she wants. Like at some point it also becomes simple, but it's hard to get to. It's super and, hard to and, get to. And I'm just going to flip exactly, not flip, but like re-emphasize that same thing you said. I want to care what she cares about. Like, like to me, I, I want to care more importantly than anything. Right. So I'm willing to change what she cares about yeah. as a character so that I care more exactly. versus yes. versus which I think most people do is uh, my character cares about this. How do I make um. you care about that? And I'm like, you may be wrong about what your character cares about. Like I'm just telling you sometimes the problem is the choice you've made right in the get-go because it was a personal desire. I've always wanted to see this character realized on the screen. I've fallen in love with the concept of my character falling on the screen. It doesn't kind of matter 
All that matters is what will make the audience care about your character. And you have to be open to the fact that you chose wrong on your initial things that you're in love with down to the core of who your character is to find the answer. I love that that so much. Yes. And let me ask you quickly, because I know we're going to lose you and I just want to make sure to get this in. (laughs) Really? Already? I'm so excited. Well, it's your schedule, so we can stay, but it's your schedule. Um, (laughs) I'm not, I'm not, two hours on this. Okay, good. Okay. So how does that change when you went to television? Did you see any change in the story construction or what you focused on when you went to TV? What was that? Well, what I loved about it was that stuff's all figured out. That stuff's done. Right. Right. Predominantly like, like I, I did it because I, 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 well, sorry, my brain. I went into TV, not because I'm dying to be a TV director, but because I'm like, so much of the stuff I love now is coming from TV and coming from streaming and coming from long form episodic television storytelling. And so I wanted to know, well, this stuff is done so fast and so much cheaper and so much more ruthlessly than features. Yet it's impressing me. I want to be able to play in that I want to go cook in that restaurant too. So I went and I basically interned. Like I just like, like just, will somebody give me a shot? Sean Levy blessed his heart and the Duffer brothers said, we will give you a shot. And I found that like, it, it is even more heavy. Not, I wouldn't, it wasn't surprised to me, but like it was like, it has to work in the script. There's no room for error because they're shooting within an inch of their life. Like it's like, there's not much room for more than three takes uh, once we leave a, a location, we can't really come back probably like everything's like kind of run and gun. So you have to have the confidence that it's in on the page and that it works. And so it, it, it's no surprise that it's super great storytellers and some of the most intelligent, like, you know, the, the, that brain drain of the writers that really did go to that part of the world predominantly in Hollywood. Do you see anything that they're doing in those scripts from a craft standpoint in terms of how they're getting us to care so fast or. Well, I think there's just a basic standard and understanding that I, I find that like, well, I, I mean, I'm, I can't speak blanket. Like no, I, 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 I'm very privileged. I got to sort of lobby to be on shows that I'm a fan of. So I'm already a, like a fan of how they think I'm a fan of Vince Gilligan. I'm a, you know, I'm a fan of Peter Straub and, 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 and I'm, and I'm, I'm a fan of uh, pretty much all the shows I've gotten to work on, like Nathaniel Halporn, Noah Hawley, and uh, they they basically have already got this in, either have this insane gift of storytelling that they were just blessed to be at the head of the class with, or they've been doing it for so long they're, they've they've gotten that great at it, they're masters at it. So you're getting people at the top of their game, at least in the, in the ones that I would. So that there just wasn't an issue. That that doesn't mean that they're flawless. It just means that the amount of problems and the, and the scope of problems don't run like usually deep, 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 like, like we're completely telling the wrong story. You have the completely wrong character doing something. It becomes much more mid-level stuff. If it comes up, it's like, this is never going to come across. Uh, this get this this idea is getting buried in a scene. Somebody's intention isn't, you know. And I am such a machine of like all I want to do is care. 
So like, put me in front of something like, I don't care what the story's about. Like, I just, how can I be, everything becomes a game for me. Like, how can I make myself care about stuff I hate? You know what I mean? Like I hate musicals and I hate stories about rabbits. Let's say like, how can I make myself love them? Like, I just always like treat it like, and so I was kind of in a good place to be a TV director on these things because I was immediately able to just not have to worry about that it was my, I wasn't the writer, it wasn't mine and it was not broken. So all that was off the table and it left all this free brain space to just go. And then believe me, it fills up a hundred percent and you still wish you had more time to just tell it better. Right. And that it, so it made me come back to Pixar even more of a Nazi about like, you cannot spend enough time vetting and, and, analyzing how you're telling your story like how well can you tell it can you tell it better can you make me care more can you make me be even more invested in the next thing can you create more expectation you know i'm a drama junkie i i i fell i remember falling in love with my mom would play a lot of classical music and it would just kind of go through me you know brahms and all stuff and then she played the firebird suite from um, tchaikovsky and i i fell in love with it because it's basically soundtrack music it was telling a story and it it went up and it went down a dynamic range and and i and i and i've realized that um you know i fell in love with um song song writing you know like and really great you know dynamics in 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 good songs and stuff and so i really oh i'm a drama junkie and so i'm just always looking for and drama as we as we have probably all told on this podcast is is creating anticipation mm. and you and expectations like you can't have drama if the if the audience wasn't coming into a scene prime the way you want them to they're not going to they're not going to have the response you want to you, you know what i mean like yeah. um if if you haven't made me not just know but be concerned for my main character having a fear of closed spaces, then there's no drama if the elevator stops or there'll be muted drama. Like, like, like I would worry too, but like if I, if I knew that character was claustrophobic, then there's gonna be more drama. If I cared that that character is claustrophobic, then there's massive drama when they get tra trapped into the, uh, elevator. So creating caring anticipation and expectations is really where all my attention goes. Like, why do I not care in this scene? It must be something earlier that I didn't make you care about earlier. You know, that's, that's always that pretty much. I feel like I'm just always sleuthing that. And that's the one thing I feel like never gets turned off. Even when I'm on a set directing TV, I'm like, why don't we care enough about what the point of this scene is? And so and you're using every tool available. And frankly, they're tools you could have seen on the page often. They're like, oh, you know what? This person, um, like I did a thing for All Mankind where uh, they had several scenes where this main character, is, it's their last day of work and they can't get out of there fast enough. And all these scenes were supposed to be playing off of his impatience. And you never really, you got caught up in whatever they were talking about. And I was like, can we just put in a clock in his room, in his office. And because he was an astronaut once, I wanted to, because I usually didn't get into the writer's world, but I would just ask, could we just, could he always look at it at the, like at the beginning, end of a scene and say T minus whatever is, is, is the, and it just kept the audience in the center lane of like, that's the most important thing to this character. And now I'm looking through that lens at everything else that was being said and well-written in those, those scenes. You know, that's like, yeah, no, so that's great. So the center lane can be, and probably is what's the most important thing to this character. Yes. 
What yes. is the most important thing to this character? Yes. And you've attached me to it and I care deeply about it, right? So I, I know that they can't, they're they're claustrophobic. I, I can feel it. I don't want them to get in an elevating of it stuck. And by the way, they're with the person I really don't want them to be with because he doesn't want to be with that person. And suddenly, yeah, it starts going. And it's not easy to do what you're saying. It's so funny because I listen and I'm always like, yes, yes. And then I go to my work and I'm like, I don't know how to do it. Because you have to worry about so many other things. <laughs> you, you, it takes for a Meg, you need a Meg to come to you <laughs> right. and do what you do at Pixar, which is like, tell me what your hopes and dreams and intentions are. And then suddenly you vocalize it. And you and Now somebody can help you with that and go, oh, well, if that's what you wanted me to understand. And then suddenly it doesn't seem like such a hard problem to solve. You just were consumed with all these other things that are valid to worry about, but maybe not right now, or maybe there might be another way to do it and yeah, yeah, put it under, yeah. under this scene. And yeah, it's, it just to our emerging just writers, a, you know, it's, it's this stuff hazard. is hard for everybody. This is hard for everybody. This is why you're writing many drafts. So you're discovering execution over, you know, first it's what, and then it's how, right. And the, if you're really putting yourself into it, whether you like it or not, it's going to be about you. It's going to be some therapy session you've made about you and you're not going to know until you've done enough therapy. <laughs> so, it's so true because it's an unconscious know? drive and slowly it's coming to consciousness. I remember right. once I was writing something and I was like, I will not be writing about this. And then I'm like, oh, fuck, of course, that's what I'm writing about because it's always what I'm writing about. Yeah, um, yeah you are. You are going to. What did John, John Lennon said? Sooner or later, everybody's going to figure out all every song I write is about my mom. Yeah. It's kind of true. It's so true that it's about his mom, for sure. I have a question that's uh, not on our official list, but uh, you know, at Pixar, you've talked a lot about the 30,000 foot view and um, yes. it's something I struggle with. And I was always so um, amazed and inspired at Pixar, watching how, you know, I work with Pete so much, watching yeah. how he would be in the nitty gritty and then like sit back on the couch and editorial and zoom out and go up to that 30,000 foot and be able to like experience the whole film and yeah. then have a note and then go back in. And so I've been working on that. That's a craft piece, right? Meg helps me remember how to do that all the time. How do you work on that muscle? Is that the being the audience that you're talking about? How I think you there's, there, yeah. you know, sometimes watching an, a movie, like there's a, I, we probably all have certain movies that no matter how many times you watch them, it makes you want it like it did the first time. It's not just that you love it. It makes you want to go create. Like to me, that's a whole nother category. And I have a few movies like that. I also have uh, certain chapters in some how-to writing books that I've just always gone back to. And they get me, they get me invigorated again because I, uh, it makes me, you know, it makes me see fresh again in the same way Meg was just saying like, oh, you say these things and I want to go back to my stuff. Like, There's things that I, no matter how many times I read that chapter, there's so many times I, I, I read those things. And then the other thing, one, one more practical thing when I'm writing is I print out everything I write. I don't, I don't analyze anything I do on the screen because somehow when I, when I print it on a piece of paper, it's somebody else's and I can be judgy. And I can kind of see how it all ends up. But I also, um, wow, this is really getting the nitty gritty, but this is the exact podcast I would tell something like this. I don't write scenes in isolation. So once I have an outline, I literally format uh, onto a new file, like act one, scene this, scene this, this. And even if it's blank, 
And then where I think my scene falls that I'm going to uh, write, I write it in the body of that. Like I may go on a separate file and write on it forever to get it right. But then I, I, what I, before I look at it, I drop it into the context of my outline so that I'm always thinking of the entire sentence like, or the entire alphabet, right? Whatever your analogy. So that like, I kind of find myself and I make myself just like skim reading the outline and then I hit the scene. I put my scene into the outline and then I read it from the top of the outline and hit the scene, read it and I go, so that I'm, I'm doing my damnedest to never think of my jigsaw puzzle pieces in isolation of the entire jigsaw puzzle. Uh, you and, have like and, a master document? Yeah. And then you're feeding yeah. into it? Yeah, and here's another trick I do that I don't know if anybody else needs to do, but like, when I'm, this happens all the time. I'm in a scene and I'm like, God damn it. And I can just almost feel myself hitting the same wall, no matter how much I'm, and then I go, fuck it. And I start off, I get a whole new file and I just write whatever the hell I want. Yes. Like, like I just, it's, it, and I, and I love that the Macs have like an entirely new screen you can slide to. So I keep my world just exactly the way I was. And so it's like, I, so I literally feel physically feel like I'm have walked into another room and, and it's a new canvas. And I just go, and I just write like, what, what, just write something that excites me. Jesus, God damn it. Like how, how did I get from like something I was so excited about to hating everything I'm looking at. And then I just start from excitement again. And, and, and I swear every time I've done that, I have used whatever I've done in that to some degree, you know, in that, in that new sort of refresh start. Um, but it, I, I'm always amazed at how much I have to physicalize that. Like I have to actually, I can't do that compartmentally in my head. I have to literally somehow physically represent the fact that I'm just doing a fresh start or that it's not about me. I have to somehow, somehow I'm creating an umbilical cord while I'm writing and I have to keep cutting it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and just go, it's oh, not about my, me. This is not about me. When you said yeah. that, it was like, oh, no. God. Not, I love that. I just did that yesterday where I was like so stuck and I was like, fuck it. I just opened up a new doc and I was yeah. like, okay, I don't know how yeah. any of this would ever work, but yeah. what if we did that? Because and I just- but, you're Doesn't drafting work. off that energy. You're drafting. I think I want to believe you're drafting off of this creative pilot that like that you, you like, I'm ready to go guys. I'm ready to run. And I'm giving myself squat. I, there's nothing, there's nothing good to run on here. And, and so I like to believe I've just got all this juice and like give me something to get excited about gets me going again. You know? I love the idea too, of having this other separate master doc of all the scenes so mm -hmm. that because I find even for myself, but especially for emerging writers, you can spend so much time in act one, but you mm -hmm. don't know act one until you know act three. Yeah. You can't know it. And yet so much time is spent in the first half. And then the third act, you're like, eh, and this kind of basically happens, right? You're just yeah. trying to be like, and but to, to, to force yourself to constantly go back and look at the whole thing on yeah. a piece of paper you could is really, really a good idea. Again, it doesn't mean that you don't have your barf draft that where you've just let it go out. And, but eventually right. at some point to give yourself that uh, container to see it, that 30, I mean, that's some of my favorite memories at Pixar's in the brain trust. And you're like 30,000 feet, everybody right now, 30,000 feet. <laughs> so well, there's, I think, I think that um, I want to believe Lorian, that's like sometimes going off the beaten path and just committing to something else um, is really uh, just an exercise to gain yourself some temporal objectivity so you can go 30,000 feet. 
What does that mean? <laughs> Tell me. Meaning like how do like, 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 um, all right. Like, um, I'm always doing the golden book thing. Like I'm always going like, right. oh, like, I, like I, you've probably heard me say that in meetings where I'm like, okay, wait, wait, okay, like let me get this straight. So the story is once upon a time. Once upon a time, there were two to- There was one toy that was old, that was loved, and there was a new toy that came on the bed, and then the other one got jealous, kicked him out the window. But then they ended up in the same car together, and they got kicked. Like I'm just telling it to the five year old me, right? And that's thirty thousand feet. Like it's like to me, that's like how do I force myself to just admit what I have right now. Like, and, 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 and another way that I approach that without using the term 30,000 feet, as I say, finish the sentence. Like, you know, there's so many times when you're like, especially when you're verbally talking to other people or you're pitching, they're like, you go, well, there's, uh, it's like, no, uh, that's not a good idea. And I'm almost like, no, finish the sentence. Like context, you're going to just be that much, even if though we're probably already all in agreement, this idea is not going to work. If you just walk through the entire thought of what you thought it might do and where you thought it might go, you'd be amazed at how much smarter you are about what maybe your problem is that made you even start saying that sentence. But if you keep cutting yourself off, that's just the judgy part of yourself. That's just the critique part of yourself. And and you're actually, and at the least, you're, 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 you're flexing your fuck it, mess, be messy muscle. And you're just committing to it all the way through. It's like an improv, like just commit to the improv, just do the yes and. And just that exercise, I think helps make you brave and helps give you some, some clarity. And, and clarity to me is, is a part of the contribution to objectivity. Like just suddenly you're seeing things you're seeing things for what they really are. So, um, which can be scary. Uh, and I hear you saying that somehow having the fuck it document or moment helps you now be brave enough yeah. to get up above it and see it. Cause sometimes I'll be honest, I don't want to go 30,000 feet cause I'm scared yeah. shitless that when I look yeah. down, I don't have anything or I don't have what I think I have. And well, it's this easier is where... to stay down in here. It's yeah, just easier. Why... What this you is said about my... admitting okay. to yourself, right? Like yeah. I can do the yeah. 30,000 foot for anyone else. Like I will yeah. help anyone else. But then when you said admit it to yourself, I was like, oh God, if I did the little golden book version of the script that I have now, oh fuck, what would I actually have? Like, oh no, right? And so yeah. it's the fear of, oh God, I have to write it again. It's scary <laughs> to be 30,000 feet over. This, yes. this may yes. be the worst advice, but like I... Like I benefited from, I was never the star pupil in my class. I, I barely passed English in high school. Um, and it took a long time for me to understand that storytelling is not necessarily writing. <laughs> like, 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 it, you know, like screenwriting is cinematic dictation. And I've always pictured stories in my head and where, what I'd, where I'd like things to go. And so it really become, so I got better at writing for wanting to express something that I already knew was worth telling, at least I thought was in my head. And, um, but the flip side of that is that I've always felt like I could leverage off of my lesser than student status and, and, and just go, I'm always gonna be bad. Like I'm always gonna be lesser than, I'm always gonna kind of, so I have that saying, you guys heard me say like, be wrong as fast as you can. I don't, I always, I just like, I will be wrong as fast as I can. <laughs> like, it's like, like, I just don't, 
I don't walk in. I don't know what it feels like to walk in to start writing thinking I'm going to do something good. I don't, I've never had that. I've always had the, it's going to like, I, I know what it was like to be a student and watch names that you guys know when they were 19, you know, just knock it out of the park. And I was still there all night for another month to like get it there. And I learned how to get good by working harder than everybody else. So I just go into everything assuming that's what I'll have to do. And I guess in the long run, that's been my friend because I haven't fallen into the trap too often that it's going to be good. What I've done. <laughs> I think of, like that, just for doing it, like, 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 like I, I still have expectations. It will get good. Right. And but you know, fail think, fast. Yeah. When people ask me, what are the story rules at Pixar? I'm like, there's two. Is it a good story? Do you have it? This execute, like, is it good? Is that as good as it can get? And two, fail fast was the only ever thing I ever heard at Pixar in terms of, mm-hmm. um, like, you know, like you want it to be not just safe, but like you want to look forward to like, I'm often saying this in development with people in their first year. Okay, can we just get this out of the way? It's whatever you, no matter how good you are, the, your first, your first draft's not going to be right. Like, I don't care how great we love it. Like history has proven everything about this is going to change. So, so just get it done. Like, like if somebody told you, I promise you in 10 drafts, you will have an Oscar winning screenplay that everybody will want. You would not dick around with the first draft, the second draft that you would be working as fast as you can to get to number 10. Well, I'm here to tell you, and I haven't even met anybody on this podcast yet that's listening. That's what it's going to take. <laughs> it's going to take 10. Yeah. I mean, I'm a 12 draft guy. I, I mean, think minimum. I, 10. I, I, I have a couple that were like, I got to nine and that was with help, but like, I'm telling you, that's how many it's going to take. So, so just get through them. <laughs> Which know? is so hard for those of us that were like overachievers, like top of our class, like studying yeah. literature, like that. And I wasn't top of the class, but like, you know, I was, I expect what I do to be good. Yeah. So yeah. for me, the psychological dissonance of like embracing and accepting it will suck yeah. is still like, or it doesn't or, really, I have this like, really? How well, much, the truth is, right? but the truth is even there's suck and then there's just not the right answer. And you actually, if you're any good, you're probably going to live in the land of it's not the right answer for a very long time, for the bulk of your existence on this story. And that, that is different than you suck, just to be fair yeah. to people. I well, mean, you don't like, suck the work the the draft is shitty right that it's not the right answer right Right. that's another piece that i think is worth we always mention this right you are not your work (laughs) you know and that whole notes thing which i think is interesting how you take how you don't take notes i I love that idea that it's so helpful that to separate it from yourself this is just not the right answer right Mm -hmm. um yeah we had ed solomon on as a guest and he approaches every day and he looks at his script and says what is it today <laughs> what is it today? And I thought, oh, that's so good. Like you don't have to decide what it is and how yeah. good it is. What and is I it love today? That, I love that he objectifies it because you, we've all seen this. The, eventually, it becomes you realize, oh, it always was a ch- a child we're raising. It's not my child. It wasn't. It's not me. It's like it maybe came from me, or or I had some parenting, you know, advice or involvement. But like it's its own thing, and it's gonna and it's and the more it develops, the more it wants it knows what it wants to wear, what its interests are, 
And I'm either going to be fighting my parental, you know, hopes and dreams on them and just forcing this, or I'm just going to start listening to this kid and let it be what it wants to be raised up to be, you know? We had some questions from some uh, listeners when they heard you were coming on, they posted questions in the Facebook page. So we do have some questions. Um, Well, it, it would be fun to hear writer versus director in terms of at what point does, I'm interested to notice at any point the director take over in you, inside of you, meaning, okay, writer, job done. Like, what is that? Like when you're a writer director, what's that like for you? Um, I kind of don't know the difference. Like honestly, the first time I've ever written something that I wasn't gonna be even slightly involved in its production happened last year. (laughs) Like everything I've ever written on, I'm either gonna be in the room where it happens, be called into the room where it happens, or I'm gonna be making it. And so I, and and I was worried, I was worried about writing recently because I was just like, oh, like I've always had a lot of my fuel to write stuff is because I wanna, I'm gonna get to see it be born. I'm gonna see it realized. And, uh, or, or at least I believe that. And, and when um, you do do that, when you've written it and now it's time to direct it, do you, yeah. does that writer continue in you to continue? Absolutely. To- yeah. Because I, I'm under no illusions that once we start putting on the show and, and putting it, you know, putting it up on stage and dressing it up in costumes and that I'm not going to see a million other things wrong and be grateful that I was around for the the whole development of the script because you you can't get smarter than having been alongside it for that entire journey so you you become you're only a better writer with each iteration hopefully and and you understand that story that much better and so you're 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 just that more facile so i i'm always keeping both alive if that's an option um i don't I, i i i think it's more i don't know if i yeah, I just feel like in a way where I just add the duty of writer on top, I mean, they add the duty of director on top of writer. Top of it. And, and so they're both just full, full, fully going on uh, almost till the end. Um, hopefully it's dissipating by the last six months. But, but I think the more interesting thing is on the flip side, I think I'm always leveraging off of my director point of view the minute right. I start writing. Right. Right. That's um, great. Yeah. And I don't see, I don't see anything, even if you're not a director, like that's a, that's a great way to it. Cause again, it's in my mind, it's cinematic dictation. You're just making a blueprint to a house. And if you aren't looking at it, like the guy, even in, in theory that might construct that house and uh, then you're kind of doing yourself a disservice, you know? I really learned that working in animation because if they don't know how to draw it, <laughs> What good is it? Like, it, you can't go forward. Like, yeah. it, when I could write something and somebody says, can't wait to draw it. Like, they're so excited to draw it. I'm like, okay, we're good. I don't know if it's going to stay in or whatever, but right now we're good. And if they're, if the poor storyboard artist is like, oh, you're like, yeah. oh boy, I didn't yeah. write that well enough. They're not excited. They're confused. They don't know where to set the camera. That Like, oh boy, it really helps your brain start to understand it. And a deeper way when you've come from live action and obviously you came out of that discipline, but uh, it was a great tool. One of our listeners asked the question, um, which is a fun one, um, which is um, asked about comedy and finding jokes. Mm. And uh, we've certainly been in rooms with you and you've hired Bob Peterson. (laughs) (laughs) Hire Bob Peterson. Yeah. But what is your, what is your take on humor and uh, 
you know, certainly oh, people want to be entertained. It's certain, you know, certainly picture movies or other movies, live action, whatever. I mean, not everything that you've worked on is going to be have comedy in it, but yeah. when you are doing that. Um, I don't know if it's just because it's where my strength lies or where my interests lie. I'll never really know. But like, I, I'm not the guy that comes out with the funny lines just on, on cue or can be funny now. But I was always the guy that sat next, knew smart enough to know to sit next to the class clown and knew how to motivate them and provoke them. And so uh, I know how to get funny, uh, uh, if that makes sense. Um, and, the, we're, and if it, I'm, I'm left to my own devices, which I often am, and I'm, I'm a little scared when I am, um, I go for character humor over wit um, uh, and, and lines that are just self-standing. Like I, I'm, I'm, I think it's because of my, um, uh, my acting uh, background. I, I, I wanted, I, I was seriously thinking of going into acting uh, when I was making films with my friends and stuff like that and looking at college and stuff. And then I never did, but I ended up hanging around with actors all through film school and realized, oh, I, I'm still of that tribe. I just didn't pick that path. And so it doesn't surprise me that when I'm looking for humor, I'm, I'm trying to find humor out of the behavior and the, and the mindset of whatever character I'm writing for, or, or whatever dynamics might happen between that character and another character. Like, and that's, you know, only those, only that person would be able to make that funny or only that kind of interaction would be able to kind of funny. That's always my go-to. Because of their uh, personality, because yeah, of what they want yeah. versus what they're getting. And so I'm playing to my strength, you know, if it is a strength or at least my, 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 my interest. Um, but at the end of the day, you just kind of have to take a leap and go, that made me laugh. <laughs> and live with the fact that there is nothing more transparent and honest than people not laughing at your joke like you can <laughs> you can tell something emotional and but make yourself believe like i think i got to everybody's heart you know but you'll never be able to lie to yourself that you did or did not make people laugh you know? it's pretty it's, bold it's, it's, a, it's a tough one it's yeah. a tough one when you're like that was a clunker okay yep. that didn't yep that didn't go over at all Yep. Andrew, you mentioned a like go-to toolkit for inspiration of books and films that you need mm -hmm. to pull you out of the hole. Like just mm -hmm. selfishly, like what is that list? Oh, yeah. So I can put it in my toolbox. Oh, my Bible is uh um it's right here. The uh Lajos Egri's The Art of Dramatic Writing. Yes, I, I, used, I, I love that book. It opened my brain. Um I wanted to be a screenwriter. I I once I, halfway through Toy Story watching um Joss Whedon read, I realized, oh, that's what I want to do. I didn't know I wanted to do that. And so I devoted my two and a half years of the rest of that production trying to be that. And when I passed the test and most of what I wrote made it in and I got the credit, then I wanted to like not lose that shot at, at staying that way. So I had gone to McKee and, and there was a, there was a uh, syllabus and this was on it. And, uh, and I read it and it, like every paragraph, every chapter like boom mind blown mind blown so inspirational that i've made a cheat sheet of my favorite uh quotes and it's on my evernote so that i can just look at it whenever i want to and just hit the highlights just i need a boost um so that's 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 the biggest book um i do go back to mckee's we used to always go to the mckee uh uh seminars and they were huge i don't i i i hold no ill will of people He's not people's thing, but 
but I, I, I'd be disingenuous if I didn't say he, he again blew our minds and made us, Toy Story would not be what it is if we had not gone three times to his, his, his course. And so I, I have his storybook as reference. And then um, a book that I recently go to all the time that somebody made me aware of a couple of years ago, uh, it's called Into the Woods by, by uh, John York. And the biggest thing out of that is the five act structure. Um, which is the Shakespearean structure, and and I and what gave me such a uh, chills when I read them. So I remember I was uh, finally over the hump. I thought of solving the story on Finding Nemo, and I had it all charted out. But enough of the movie was maybe half in production, like half of it was produced. So like there's still a lot of malleability. And I was just doing, I had my analysis side of the brain just going on full tilt. And I was like, okay, major shifts in, in, the, in the plot, like where the character suddenly has to, stuff that really constitute an act break. And I was like, one, two, three, four, five. And then I thought I did something wrong. I was like, oh my God, it's not three acts. If you go by that judgment, it's five. And, and I kind of just kept that to myself because to me, like, this seems to be working. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say anything. To anybody, but, <laughs> but I. But this has got more train cars on it than I thought I was supposed to do, and and I just kept. And then when I read that book, I realized, oh, I, I was. I was. I did do three acts. I just was. I just understood my script so well that I could kind of go into the five act because because five acts are three acts. It's just it's you're basically dividing the second act in a different way, and now I understand that I didn't then. Um, but it, 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 it gave me a boost because I realized, oh, I did it right. <laughs> you know, nice. so I have that book on my shelf because I also got it and then never read it. So now I'm excited to go read that. Yeah. I mean, I always feel like anybody that goes into things honest and has a really decent sense of because this guy's a was a BBC writer for uh, for a long time. So like they there's got to be some truth that. It's like, you know, everybody's got their own filter or point of view that's just slightly different than yours. So even hearing the same thing back to you is reinvigorating or reading it back to you, you know, so that, that book did that to me. There's also, there's, there's a, um, this is as a go-to and it's weird. I don't know if I should waste you guys time, but it's from uh, Philip Roth's American Pastoral. <gasps> I love that book. And there is a passage in it that I freaking love. Do you want me to read it? Yes, please. Because you fight your superficiality, your shallowness, so as to try to come at people without unreal expectations, without an overload of bias or hope or arrogance, as untank-like as you can be, sans cannon and machine guns and steel plating half a foot thick. You come at them unmenacingly on your own 10 toes instead of tearing up the turf with your caterpillar treads. Take them on with an open mind as equals, man to man, as we used to say, and yet you never fail to get them wrong. You might as well have the brain of a tank. You get them wrong before you meet them, while you're anticipating meeting them. You get them wrong while you're with them. And then you go home to tell somebody else about the meeting and you get them all wrong again. Since the same generally goes for them with you, the whole thing is really a dazzling illusion, empty of all perception and astonishing farce of misperception and yet, what are we to do about this terribly significant business of other people, which gets bled of the significance we think it has and takes on instead a significance that's ludicrous? So ill-equipped are we all to envision one another's interior workings and visible aims. 
Is everyone to go off and lock the door and sit secluded like the lonely writers do in a soundproof cell, summoning people out of words and then proposing that these word people are closer to the real thing than the real people that we mangle with our ignorance every day? The fact remains that getting people right is not what living is all about anyway. It's getting them wrong that is living. Getting them wrong and wrong and wrong, and then on careful reconsideration, getting them wrong again. That's how we know we're alive, we're wrong. Maybe the best thing would be to forget about being right or wrong about people and just go along for the ride. But if you can do that, well, lucky you. Damn. And that's just, to that's me, amazing. I'm like, that's why we do what we do. Yeah. I feel, that just spoke to me, but, so I read that about, once a year. You mentioned movies too. Are there any go-to films for you that really inspire uh, you? To shame, to shame myself, I watch Amadeus and Aaron Brockovich. They are perfect movies. Yeah. Oh my God, those are my movies. That's amazing. I talk about them all the time. They're, yes. they, they talk about Center Lane. There is no fat in those movies. Everything is doing a job. Yeah. I'm doing one job. It's, it's insane. And, and, Amadeus is, and Amadeus is so brilliant because he is not the main character. So <laughs> yes. when it's a, when you open the movie with a crazy man in a room, he can tell you anything. Suddenly all it has to be yes. historically accurate. No, it doesn't. He's an insane asylum. It yeah. could be anything. And yet the lane is so clear that it's his lane. But the and, thing I remind yeah. myself when I see those movies is that you don't, the entertainment value of how they are, how all this information is being expressed is so intoxicating that you can be the dumbest person in the room about story and you are in, you get it. And it shows you how much, how you can go from good to great when the, t the, the telling of the story is so good that all the hardware is hidden, like completely hidden. And yet the hardware is, like an A plus masterclass, you know? I watched so. the um, director's cut of Amadeus and I was like, oh, thank God they didn't do this. <laughs> because yeah. he has things in there that literally, like you talked about, take you right off the lane yeah. so dramatically that it changes the whole movie. And yeah. you're like, wow, I'm so glad that scene is not in the movie. Yeah. And, and uh, Aaron Brockovich is such a beautiful example of, and Amadeus both, of those moments of execution can be huge, you know, a symphony, a murder, whatever, um, you know, you know, radioactivity in a kid's pool, whatever, or they're so small, yeah. you know, when that guy is, her boyfriend is sitting, putting the kids to bed and the motorcycles go by off yes. the window. Like it just, that's it. And it just burns into your memory. Cause talk about anticipation, you know, yes. what's coming, you know, that he's going to leave and he doesn't even want to leave. And you know, that scene is coming and it's just this small moment. Oh my, I'm sorry. There, I'm going off, a, but I just, it's no. everything you talked about today are in those two movies. There's a, there's a card that I, I think I have it here. Um, yeah, there's a card. Um, I read a short, I found a short story, like an old novel. I don't have it. It's in my Pixar office, but like there's an old um, novel, a short story writer. And she wrote about short story writing and it's from like the thirties or something. But she said this one thing that I just like, oh, this helped me so much. Um, it says the crisis will either be an impending danger, which the character wants to avoid, or it will be a longed for good happening toward which the character aims. And to me, I'm like, those are basically the two rooting polar interests you have in a story. You're telling a story. I'm either hoping something's good's going to come out of this, or I'm like, or even in scenes, or I'm like, 
shit, I don't think this is going to go well, but I have to find out. Like, those are your carrots. Like, you know, the, like I have to see if the good thing will happen or I have to see if the bad thing will happen. And you what know? and embedded in that is because your character is doing something. They're yes. making a choice, right? And that you care about active. them. And you care about them and you care about that choice they're making. You also said a word there that I remember long ago, years ago, you said, I don't know if it was to Pete Stone when I was with him or I don't remember where we were, but... Um, you said, but what, think about the character's longing. Mm, and it was such yeah. a great word that, because longing is better than want to me. You know, I want a like, cookie, right? Yeah, it's like, like haunting. It's like what, what you can't, what, what won't leave your, your psyche, right? Yes, it's, and like, that, it's like it haunts you. It's haunting and it's, and yeah. it's so much deeper and so much more about their character. And, and um, there's already some dramatic tension in it. So it's another great thing to ask yourself, what does your character long for? Um, whether yeah. they think they can ever get it or not. I just, I, I, I always think, remember that too. You guys, Andrew- writing is so easy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all this, just, just put all this into, into, you know, practice and like you're, you're golden, you're trying, right? You're trying to capture the complexity of humanity and <laughs> you're trying to have a bunch of humans, each of which you're trying to like give the illusion it has complexity that's, it's just like math on math on math on math. It's math on math, but I love the math. I love the story yeah. math. So yes. Andrew, we're going to ask you three questions at the end here um, that we're starting, you know, we're trying this out, seeing if our guests okay. like these three questions, um, <laughs> just to wrap it up, because we so appreciate your time. Um, the first one is, if you could be remembered for one scene you wrote, what would it be? Oh, uh, well... There's one scene I'm the most proud of writing wise. So I guess for this group, I'll, yeah, I have another scene I love, but, but it's when Woody uh, is under the crate and Buzz is strapped to the rocket and, and Woody finally confesses without really saying it uh, that he uh, was jealous all along and didn't see any, actually the truth is he doesn't see any value in himself and Buzz really is the one that's worthy to go. And, and finally being able to figure that out in a word, in a line that didn't feel like a writer, it felt like a truth that just could, was so loaded. So just to say, I'm the one that should be strapped to that rocket. And, uh, and that scene was really hard to write because I was learning at the same time. Uh, we lucked into the fact that we never said what the movie was about ever. But all the behaviors and actions, when I look back, were true to jealousy and insecurity of yourself. And um, but suddenly we had to come very close to saying what it was for the first time because it was the point of the scene. And and just it was it was like trying to pull water from a stone. But I'm so happy with the result of that that scene as a writer like I've always like oh like like no we've like there's just the confidence in knowing like I can't I can't do better than that that's that's the best that scene can be you know the great scene so Lauren do you I think all of us see ourselves in that scene that's why yeah. <laughs> we're all woody in that moment where we're like yeah. it should because yeah. it's like the thing we don't want to say but we feel yeah. so deeply sorry yeah. to interrupt I just Very love great. that scene too. no that's good go ahead Lori so I want to know what pisses you off about being a writer writing <laughs> <laughs> when I'm when I'm directing, I wish I was writing, and when I'm writing, I wish I was directing. I've I've never known. I I think I did once, but I might have dreamt it that I enjoyed writing once. I like 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 I had a moment where I was on a high. I'm always on a high, showing you what I've done, 
hearing other people read what I've done, I'm always on a high for solving the problem, never on a high trying to solve it. I'm so glad to hear that. <laughs> um, go ahead, uh, Jeff, you asked the last question. Sure, yeah, and the flip side, uh, what gives you your greatest joy when writing? Or what is what gives about you joy writing. about writing, yeah? yeah. Uh, discovery, because to me, it's an archeological dig. Like I've, I, I truly believe, and I know this is getting kind of spiritual, but like that there are great stories and or even just ideas and things out there story for in this case and and the and you're an archaeologist and you've picked and you can all you can really take credit for is the dirt the area that you've chosen to dig and and how often you've and, and your efforts for digging but what you discover was kind of always there and then you're left to figure out you know what kind of dinosaur bones you've put you found and what it is and, and, and analyze that correctly. But the discovery is the, is the drug of, of you know, of uh, what's this going to become? What's, you know, you know I mean, yeah. I, I don't know how, if everybody's a parent, but um, when you're, when your child's born, they don't really have a personality until they're like about what, six months old or six weeks old. I mean, it's been a while now. But I know that they, I think it's, they start, they suddenly, they're not just staring at you burping and, and sleeping. And, and um, that kind of anticipation of like, who are you is how I feel most of the time when I'm writing on stuff that I want to be writing on, <laughs> you know, is, is like, uh, you know, wow, what, who are you? You know, what, what are you? you know? Oh, I love that. That is so inspiring. Andrew, thank you so much for talking. Sure, this was today. so fun to talk shop with equals. Uh, oh my god! No, but I'm so inspired to go back to my work uh, and just all your amazing insights. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, and I and, look forward to yelling across the table with you again soon, Meg. <laughs> I'm sure very soon. <laughs> so thank you to our listeners for tuning in, and if you haven't yet, join our Facebook group, and you can always email us at thescreenwritinglife at gmail.com, and we will eventually respond. We promise. We're just a little busy. Uh, yeah. And do drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. You are not alone. Keep writing. Thanks for tuning in to The Screenwriting Life. We love our community and we want to get to know you even better. Join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash thescreenwritinglife or email us at thescreenwritinglife at gmail.com to have your question considered for the show. You can also suggest topics by emailing us there. Also, we'd love for you to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. Even if we don't read your review on air, trust me, we have read it, and not only does it mean the world to us, but it helps other people find the show. We've always been driven by mission and mentorship, and reviewing our show helps expand that mission. And of course, until next Sunday, happy writing.